Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 156. I am your host, Nicholas Minix, and joining me as usual during the week is Eno Cyrus. Eno, how are you today? Doing good. Doesn't sound nearly as convincing uh, as you would like to hear. Eno, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Much better, much better. Eno was really excited to hear that Kurt... It's like a Hans Molman voice. <laughs> You know, was very excited to hear that Kirk Gibson is probably going to be back with the Diamondbacks in 2015. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dear God. You know, uh, the worst thing about it is that, like, he's the kind of guy who thinks that you're going to get uh, more professional outcomes from your players by banning cell phone usage in the clubhouse. <laughs> As if, like, the players won't... The, the players who have that problem, who don't prepare a lot, are just going to you know, prepare by accident. Oh, I'm so bored. I'm going to look at the scouting reports today. <laughs> no, they're just going to go pick up cards and play cards or pick their nose. I mean, the, 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 the way to foster more preparation is to go man to man and, and, and talk to them about, Hey, what did, what have you thought about the game today? You know, it's, it's not, it's not these stupid, like heavy handed, you know, ban gaming from the clubhouse movements. I mean, look at the A's. The A's play more Mario Kart than any other clubhouse I've seen. They love themselves a Mario Kart. <laughs> and and this, it's been terrible. Is this the uh, Nintendo 64 version? It's probably uh, a newer no. version. <laughs> no, That's the only one I can play. That came out. That's the only one I can play is Nintendo 64. I've given up video games. It's been a while, so. It's been a while for me, too. <laughs> But Mario Kart was the last one I was, re- I mean, not the last one, but one of the ones I was really good at. So Yeah, same here. That I feel be- like I want to hop on, but that would <laughs> violate every rule in the book. Yeah. Plus, they would probably kick your ass. <laughs> yeah. In, in, metaphorically speaking, in the game, that's what I meant. That's what, of course. Yeah, who knows? Both ways. No, I'm totally in agreement as far as that management style. It's not quite the same, but it's kind of along the lines of... I mean, management practice with people, say, in an office and, and where they, for instance, ban social media uh, usage. And it's like, that's not, that's kind of understandable. Or like just uh, having firewalls to block certain outside sites in general. But like really a way to, one way to foster an environment uh, of positivity and like a, a positive uh, productivity is to, make clear the objectives you expect your employees to meet. And regardless of that, you know, basically then whoever meets the objectives, you know, and what they're expected to finish in any particular day or week or month, um, they're obviously, they're at least meeting expectations. And, and then those who go above and beyond, uh, obviously they have the opportunity to kind of demonstrate their value to the company uh, in a greater capacity. Yeah, but everybody works differently. That's right. exactly right. I, I've always worked better with people like that because there are ways that we need sort of mental downtime. Uh, there are ways that we sort of pursue um, other goals, the work-life balance. These things are important to me. I mean, obviously. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and to, you know, there's sort of draconian moves always turn me off. Draconian or German, if you've ever read anything about the German workforce. My goodness, that's they're, they're, they're an impressive species. But uh, moving. Yeah, well, <laughs> moving and, as a German, I can tell you, I'm not going back to Germany. <laughs> well, uh, as, a, as a proxy for the Germans, I'll say, Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, moving to some more baseball relevant news. Just want to talk. We haven't we haven't really commented too much on Byron Buxton's uh, massive injury history that he accumulated alone in 2014. Uh, but obviously, it was kind of big in the news recently in the last few days. At this point, you have probably seen the clip from that uh, where he had a collision with another outfielder at um, let's see, Double A. So I can't believe I blanked on the team name all of a sudden. Double uh, A New Britain uh, in the Easter League. And that was in his first game in the Eastern League this season. 
Uh, he's played a total of 31 games, and the, the Twins decided to shut him down for the remainder of the season, and it's totally understandable. Uh, this is a prospect who is not yet... Oh, uh, I'm sorry. He just turned 20 years old. Uh, or Yes, no, he'll be 20... Yes, he'll be 21, I'm sorry, in December. Okay. And uh, obviously, one of the top prospects in baseball, arguably the top prospect. Um, and basically, the reason I wanted to just discuss him quickly is because fielded questions throughout the year, especially in chats, is this, you know, is is basically this going to be the walk-up? What, what are the likelihoods that, uh, for instance, Buxton will open uh, as the in the Twins outfield, what are the like? What's the, or what are the likelihoods that they bring him up immediately in June? I think at this point, it's incredibly optimistic, and I think virtually impossible to expect or think that the Twins can bring him up or to have him have him begin the season with the big club. That seems like an unrealistic expectation or even a possible outcome. I think they would be pretty crazy. I mean, this guy has not spent. He's basically spent no time above the advanced class A level. Is that that's pretty pretty simple thing to dismiss? I would say yes. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Jose Fernandez did it, but I think it's a little bit different for pitchers because you can look at their arsenals and say, okay, he's got his three pitches, he's ready to go. Um, you know, he can learn he can learn how to approach hitters at the big league level, especially if the team's not going well. But a hitter, I think, it's a little bit less easy to know exactly when they're ready to go, when they're refined enough. And judging from his stats, I would say that, that Buxton has a little more work to do with making contact and uh, getting a good hitter's count. So I think there's obviously stuff for him to work on, and I think that the timetable has has been affected. I, I was expecting to see, uh, in a full, full healthy year, I was expecting to see Buxton in, in uh, the big leagues this September um, in sort of a cup of coffee, get to know the big leagues, uh, don't use up too much of your service time, but... Uh, but uh, get out there and, and, and get on the big league, um, you know, and if you do really well, then maybe we'll consider uh, starting next year with you because you've had like a full season at double A or at least, a, a, you know, more like a half season at double A. Now he's had one game at double A. Um, I would suspect that, that I would just repeat. I would almost call this a lost year and say the same thing for next year. Um, he's going to play most of the year at double A. And uh, the very earliest you'd see him is in sort of late June after the Super 2 stuff. Um, but I would suspect that you'll see him in September. Yeah, that's kind of the way I was looking at it, too. I think um, I think for the prospect talents or the happy the folks that are happy to talk about prospects, and, and you know, especially from a fantasy perspective, is this guy going to be up? Is this guy going to be up? And it's fun to think about. But uh, I think that's, yeah, basically this seems like a lost season. I mean, he demonstrated – his slash line for the season in the 31 games total, most of it's been, at, again, at the Class A advanced level for Myers. It was 234, 307, 395. Uh, so significant swing and miss in his game, as you said. I think it's about a 25% strike rate, um, give or take. There's just, I mean, there's that he basically had no opportunity to really make some adjustments this season. Uh, there's no telling that he was actually healthy because he, he began the season with a, with a wrist uh wrist uh, sprain and then kind of had a recurrence of the in, uh, injury uh, once not too long after he returned missed another almost two months and so basically it was just it's just a lot of lost time in there everything's broken up there's no opportunities to really get comfortable and I think it's 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 kind of a sad thing but uh, I mean in the long run I don't think this really affects Buxton's um projectability but it does it's a little concerning that uh, maybe this kind of sets up his body for future uh, run-ins with injuries as well yeah i mean it's hard to know i mean the risk what the, i think the most uh damning thing in terms of health outcomes in the future is the fact that he had the wrist problem and then came back and there was a wrist there was a reoccurrence of the wrist problem right that's the kind of thing i don't like to see right that's what yeah that's what worried me a little yeah, that's not so much the you know, the concussion, you know. Unless he, some guys, unless he, some guys yeah. do have a harder time coming back from concussions. We've seen it with like Justin Morneau and stuff. But um, I think in general, uh, just them taking a, a a cautious approach doesn't say much about his health outcome. But the risk thing, maybe a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless unless Buxton was a player in the hockey's uh, in the hockey minors in Canada or something like that, I'm not really concerned about the concussion thing. Um, Wanted to 
to touch real quickly on uh, Jay Bruce, uh, seems to have displayed some signs that he's turning it around of late. Uh, you know, actually, and you did you did an interview with him at the uh, around the beginning of July, or perhaps that occurred in late June, and the piece didn't go up until late, uh, early July. But uh, and he had some interesting things to say on hitting, which basically, you know, he was a prodigy, <laughs> never had to worry about hitting until he got to the major league level. Uh, and I think that that's, I mean, that that's. A very very simplistic summary but uh, obviously he's gone through some significant struggles this year uh, in terms of the results uh, recently has picked it up we there was it was really hard to say exactly what might have been ailing him other than he dealt with a knee injury earlier this year but uh, no reason to think that this is not simply something that was due to happen eventually yeah yeah I don't I don't know uh, the, the when I talked to him he seemed to say he was like oh the knee is fine, um, you know, but he admitted that when he first came back, it had affected him some, um, and you could actually see it very uh, clearly in his batted ball mix in terms of ground ball, fly ball, pull and push, and that sort of stuff. They were all really significantly off in the first, I don't know, two, three weeks, maybe first month, and then they they all righted ships. So for me, Jay Bruce um, has been healthy for at least a month or two, um, and I can't, I don't know, I don't remember exactly the timing, but he's been healthy for a little bit now, um, and has probably been healthy from before the interview I did with him, so um, I've, I've always thought, you know, this season that he could be a 240 guy with 30 homer power. I mean, that's, that's sort, of, sort of the baseline that I put down for him, um, and I don't, uh, I don't, once I saw that batted ball mix return to normal, I didn't really see a reason to, to not, to, to really still be worried about Jay Bruce. I mean, his sample is smaller than a lot of other people's because of the time he's missed. Um, so, in terms of BABIP and and um, you know, bad, you know, sort of uh, home run power and stuff, none of those things are in good samples yet. So, you know, he tells me he's healthy. I believe him. <laughs> are you, you poor trusting fellow? <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I mean, I tend to agree. I think that. Uh, so, I guess my question would be uh, because this is going to go down as kind of a bad year for Bruce. Um, does your projection change much for him next season? I guess that's kind of the question I just thought of. I mean, I would not just, I think, you know, he's, yeah, I still view him. He's 240, 245, 250, 28 to 30 home runs. And that seems like a reasonable projection, assuming that we know going into 2015 that he's healthy. Yeah. The, the, the one thing I would caution is that, um, you know, he's been a, a strikeout guy, um, he's 27 now, so he's probably post-peak for strikeouts. And um, you can actually, you know, if I, you know, it's there's not a perfect bell curve in his situation, but I would say that one of these years you're going to project him for close to a 30% strikeout rate. Um, you know, maybe it's a little early to be doing that now. Maybe next year, you know, he, he he's basically had four straight seasons of. Uh, of a 260 batting average, 250s, 260 batting average, uh, and 30 homer power. So, um, you know, 28 is not so old that you would, um, you know, project him to totally fall off the face of the earth. Um, but you might uh, take the over on some of the uh, rest of season projections in terms of strikeout rate. Maybe next year you project him for a 27% strikeout rate, um, in which case you're actually thinking probably about a 240 hitter. So there is some revision downward. He's he's getting to the point where he's post peak, um, but um, he's not so far gone that uh, uh, I would pump that up to thirty percent strikeouts and a two twenty average. And that's what his end of his career is going to look like. But uh, I don't think he's there yet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't think he's. I'd hate to sentence him so so soon. <laughs> but it and it, but it does seem that uh, I mean, he may produce a season again where he has something in the neighborhood of the 263 ISO that he put up in 2012. But that stance probably is uh, what's going to look like pretty much a career year. Uh, in fact, kind of next to 2013. In the news, of course, uh, the struggles of Josh Hamilton, who turns out actually asked out of the lineup on Sunday. Uh, and then uh, Mike Sosha decided to give him an extra day. And it, According to the news, he's also been working extensively with Don Baylor and other assistants, uh, pretty pretty heavily in the cages and uh, in, in BP in order to get things turned around. Um, I, I mean, I think for the past couple of seasons, we've seen kind of an erosion of Hamilton's skill set. Anyway, obviously, he's been much more susceptible to 
to left-handed pitching, uh, strikeout weight rate and the swinging strike rate are just they continue to grow. Uh, and whenever he's down in account, I mean, he's not a, he's not a choke up type or a make contact type. I mean, he lets you know he swings from the heels just as much as he does when the when it's o o or when the count's in his favor. Uh, and he's paid a price for that in terms of results. Um, do you? I mean, is there any salvageable value? remaining in a, in a Hamilton for fantasy owners. I think so. Uh, you know, he's a, if you can just, if you can play him just against righties, um, he's a, he's a little better. Um, I, I did call up, uh, his last 30 days split and, uh, he's walking 4% of the time, striking out 37% of the time. Uh, that's pretty, pretty, pretty horrid. Um, but if I call up, you know, his first right-hander split for the year, uh, I still get a. Um, it's interesting that his results against right-handed pitchers this season have actually been better, or worse than against lefties. <laughs> yeah, that's just a small sample thing, I guess. Yeah. Um, you're right, though. Uh, still a 3.88 slugging percentage. Um, not a great year. Uh, 249 batting average, but that is sort of uh, that's how I'd use him. I think I'd still use him that way uh, against righties for power, um, knowing that uh, you're going to lose some batting average. Yeah, and I think I mean this is a, I remember this report coming up, and and Hamilton is a somewhat difficult to project uh, difficult to project player. I think in terms of uh, I mean his health history and things like that. He's he's a it's there are some years in there that are just basically lost uh, to kind of his troubled past, and then also uh, you take into account like I mean I remember reading a port a report and I've heard it brought up on television that uh, as well that uh, basically Hamilton moving to another team still probably kind of needs the type of support system that he got in Texas once he arrived there and slowly built, and it doesn't happen in a day. So if that kind of thing. I mean, those those kind of things matter to certain players and probably certain players more than others. And I think Hamilton probably qualifies as one of those guys that is, uh, I mean, not in terms of uh, he needs to be babied or anything like that, but he's obviously dealt with a number of difficult things in his life. And uh, I, I think in, unless the house is in order, so to speak, uh, it's and Hamilton doesn't necessarily deal with failure very well. Um, and so maybe the angels probably have not given him the type of attention necessarily that he needed or something like that. I mean, it's just, it goes into, it's, it's a possible, there's a possible mental effect there as well. But, um, he's, he's clearly also a guy that's probably age wise, I would think, um, because of all the stuff that he's dealt with is much closer to, uh, the the kind of whatever you would whatever the opposite of the peak is of his career, <laughs> <laughs> the nadir. Yes, and uh, I mean, it's kind of a sad thing, but it, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised still to see at some point uh, Hamilton have kind of rejuvenation type season in uh, in Anaheim simply because I mean, there's still a lot of talent there, and suppose that there are a number of you know the Angels do put the kind of things in place or whatever takes place I mean there's a number of possibilities but it's just it's harder to be it's it's it becomes much much harder every you know every month or every year uh, that these things become more difficult for him because uh, at the same time the ability is waning as well it's also uh, something to remember in terms of uh, guys that have bad uh, reach rates uh, you know Hamilton was pretty aggressive early in his career, um, <clears throat> and he managed to sort of make contact with the ball before he struck out. Um, but he never—he always had really bad reach rates, um, and there were some, you know, and his swing strike rates were always really bad. So between those two things, um, I think you could see these thirty percent strikeout rates coming pretty fast. Um, probably makes sense to to do a post where we look at other guys. Um, that have the sort of same reach rate and uh, swinging strike rate problems. Uh, Pablo Sandoval comes to mind, um, <clears throat> but uh, Pablo Sandoval's contact rate is a lot better. Um, so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll look at some other guys. Maybe that's a post later on down the line. But, you know, we could have seen some of this coming, and he is 33, so um, 
I think the best you do with him is um, buy him as a bench piece or a, a small piece in, in like an AL only league and, and hope that uh, you do get that one last good year. Yeah, indeed. And since uh, when you mentioned that, I mean, I guess league average, at least for the season, uh, is 45.1% pitches in the zone. And you can see pretty consistently in the last several years of his of Hamilton's career. I mean, he's not that the, the league rate has been that uh, the same every year, but pitchers have been unafraid or have seen no need, I should say, to pitch him in the zone <laughs> or less of, mm-hmm. less of a need. And at the same time, he's accommodated them. You can see that in his reach rate. It is, it is still steadily climbed. Uh, and it's kind of peaked in 2012 in a kind of a, hor- a horrible end to a season in his last with the Rangers. But nevertheless, it's steadily gotten worse. Uh, and it's... Uh, it's hard to see that kind of thing changing for a hitter like Hamilton at this stage of his career. True. Mookie Betts is back with Boston real quickly. J- uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. back to the AAA level. Seems like the uh, Red Sox are at a point in their season where there's no reason not to play Betts rest of the season, plug him in there every day and let him go. Yes? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what they're saying by um, demoting Bradley. I mean, they could have uh, probably pulled some other uh, rabbit out of their hat to get Mookie Betts up, but they demoted Bradley and they and they brought up Mookie Betts, and it really just seemed like Betts is just going to take over center field, and uh, Bradley's going to go down. And they want Bradley to work on his you know, contact ability, his two strike approach. I mean, the things that turned Bradley into an interesting, um, you know, non-pedigree prospect um, in the minors didn't really travel with him, and the patience turned into uh, sort of um, a sort of hyper aggressive patience in which and he put himself in two strike counts too often and then and then failed to make contact on those pitches and got thirty you know thirty plus percent strikeout rate. So Bradley needs to really refine himself to even be uh, a part of this team in the future. Whereas Betts, uh, the walk rate didn't come up with him. The power isn't quite there, but uh, the great contact ability he's already shown that. I mean, a three point six percent strikeout rate is going to be great. And when he pairs that with above-average walk rate, he's really going to look like a Dustin Pedroia in the outfield um, with, I think, a little bit more natural speed, a little bit more natural athleticism. Um, So I I think you could see, like, if I projected uh, Mookie for next year, it would probably be for something like a 280 batting average. uh, If he got the full year, 10 homers uh, and 30 stolen bases. That sounds fair to me. I think... uh... I might be a little less uh, generous on the stolen base side, but uh, overall, I think I mean I like the player. Um, I think I think it's reasonable even to, ex- to expect. I mean, he's uh, okay. I'll just he's out there in Tout Wars second base eligibility in addition to the outfield. Uh, he's become an interesting player because um, uh, whoever picked him up on the one or two occasions in the previous times he was called up. I mean, this is this is. I mean, are you so are you interested? How much are you throwing out there? I have ten dollars left, so <laughs> there's not there's not a whole lot I could do. But uh, I mean, not to say he'll cost more than that. I mean, I would throw a few bucks at him. I still think that there's something to be interested in, and maybe it turns out to be a little bit of speed. I would, you know, throw him, especially uh, for what you need. Like I had eleven bucks left in a mixed league, um, and I had problems at shortstop, and Vets was was available at shortstop in Yahoo, so. Um, I actually bid like four of my $11 left um, just to make sure I got him. And uh, now I'm pairing him with Peralta at short just to, and I need speed more. So, you know, Betts will be in there at least against every lefty since he's a righty. Uh, but I think in general, Betts will be in there more days than Peralta. So um, <clears throat> do I necessarily think he's better than Peralta? I don't know. I think he's actually sort of in that sort of comparable space. If you're talking about him as a shortstop, I think of him as maybe a top 15 shortstop. If you're talking about him as an outfielder, an outfielder only, um, I think he gets a lot less exciting because, yeah. uh, you know, he's got to he, – there's a lot of adjustments he has left to make. And uh, he's not necessarily in the seventh and eighth hole. He's not going to necessarily take off a lot and steal a lot of bases. So um, and I, I don't think that he has the kind of speed where the – you know, it's not Billy Hamilton's speed where the, the, um, the manager is just like, yeah, you can run whenever. It's more like, you know, you've got to earn your green light. So, yeah, I think of him more as a deep league player uh, in the short term. 
Um, you know, in, in dynasty and keeper leagues, he's owned and probably hard to, to get away from his owner just because, um, they've waited for so long for this and he's finally in the big leagues. It's kind of the hard time to get a, a prospect from somebody. And, uh, so I think you're, what you're finding is he's going to be most valuable in redraft only AL only leagues where he's like one of the last, um, hitting prospects that that's coming up that might make a difference. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think, uh, well, um, Zips rest of the season has him at uh, 79 plate appearances. I think you might bump that up a tad based on what, how much time we have left. But uh, 242, 308, 362. Um, I, I, mean, I think the benefit of putting him in uh, at the bottom of the order is that, although that's kind of where he was playing before, I think, I think rest of the season you say just be you, and I don't necessarily mean in terms of running, but in terms of bring the walk, bring, bring the walk rate from the minors with you focus on that focus on what has worked for you uh and because it's clear that yeah he's probably been a little uh actually probably a little unaggressive actually based on the fact that i mean he's seen a lot of pitches in the zone uh and has rarely swung outside so maybe in fact it's the opposite maybe they may encourage him to be a bit more aggressive but whatever the case uh i think i mean i'd still be optimistic that he could beat uh the slash line projections uh, but I wouldn't expect ter- uh, much in terms of the counting numbers, uh, at least the rest of this season. Yeah, agreed. And real quickly in the news, Alex Rodriguez has been working out at the University of Miami UCLA in preparation for a return in 2015. Top five pick, top five pick for you next season, or just first round? <laughs> just first round? Uh, none of the above. Alrighty, maybe in a Yankees only league. Maybe. Well, I'm not, <laughs> no, not even. Ah. Uh, the, the the problem for Alex Rodriguez is that they've got a third baseman in the meantime. Yep. Uh, and they most often like to uh, rotate people into uh, the DH position. So I, I feel like, um, you know, he doesn't, you know, maybe he can be a DH backup first baseman, backup third baseman. Uh, but the playing time is just not there for him. So even though he's really sh- still shown power over the last couple of years and even stolen, you know, more, you know, what is this, 21 bases over the last three seasons, he's, um, uh, which have all been impartial seasons, uh, you know, you, even if you could project him for, say, a 240 batting average and 15 homers and five stolen bases, which um, would be relevant in a lot of leagues. Um, it's hard to give him that many plate appearances. Well, the uh, is the th- uh, I mean, Chase Headley is a free agent after this season. Oh, is that true? Yes. So they haven't necessarily. I mean, it it wouldn't be inconceivable to see the Yankees attempt to re-sign him and say that he's probably a better prospect at third base than than A Rod is at this point in the careers. But um, yeah, but they've got so much money in Rodriguez that you know uh, he signed until 2017. Yeah. Um, so I feel like they also have Martin Prado that they could play over there, and he actually his contract is through the next couple of years, I guess. Okay, so I, I think they'll probably end up doing a Prado uh, Rodriguez uh, situation in third, and then see maybe they can sign an outfielder or something. So, mm-hmm. um, or or Beltran move Beltran back to the outfield. Um, so I mean the playing time could be there, but uh, I think that was probably one of the reasons they went after Prado was to get someone who you know, could play third, wasn't under contract next year, um, but, uh, you know, could play elsewhere if Rodriguez came back. I mean, they're going to – I don't know how they're going to make it work with in terms of, um, you know, public relations, but, um, you know. <laughs> Who cares they, about that? Yeah, but, I mean, it does sort of matter how they sell to their fan base that here's a guy that everyone hates that – you know, we thought was out of baseball, but nope, he's back. And, um, you know, maybe they'll have some sort of tearful uh, press conference where he pretends to, you know, the sort of Jason Giambi thing where he apologizes for things that he won't mention and um, and then, you know, comes back in. And then they all decide whether or not they like him based on, you know, what he actually does at the plate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then so, uh, he'll have a long way to go to acquit himself as ter- uh, in terms of his results as well because he's shown that after long layoffs at times he's really had difficulty and you know a lot of the power disappeared so I mean there's he's not a spring chicken <laughs> yeah it's crazy that he's 39 
He's going to turn 40 next year. And there's two more years on the contract. <laughs> and <laughs> just think the- just think of what's going to happen to that infield once they re-sign Derek Jeter. Oh, gosh. <laughs> They'll just play themselves right into retirement homes. They are interested in... <laughs> They are interested in Rusny Castillo. I hope I pronounce his name right. Forgive me, his family, if not. Uh, Rusny, Rusny Castillo. Um, and they would be interested, the Yankees, uh, as a second baseman. Um, and that's most other teams interested at this point. There are a handful of others that view him as an outfielder. And it's, I guess that's probably understandable. Um He's 5'9", 185, so he seems to have the size of a second baseman and is supposed to be an above-average base runner uh, with great speed, or at least with above-average speed, and definitely has doubles power. uh, But uh, reports I've read said that the scouts from some of these organizations seem also to think that it may be be just a bit of untapped home run power there, uh, which is interesting, or at least maybe they are – that means that they're then uh, a little less – uh, pessimistic about his, the way his numbers will translate to the majors than, say, Clay, Clay Davenport's numbers, uh, where uh, he has hit 18, 16, and three home runs in the last three seasons and uh, have them translated to eight, nine, and two home runs. Uh, so that's definitely a significant drop in terms of the pa- power, uh, roughly a 50% drop. Yeah, I think that's one thing. You can you can go to Clay, claydavenport.com and see um, both his untranslated and translated statistics. And if you look at his untranslated statistics, you see 330 batting average. I don't know what happened last year. In 2013, he hit 250. The power disappeared. Uh, there was a, a bit of a problem. But I wouldn't be surprised if he was either hurt or uh, they were investigating him for trying to leave. And yeah. uh, that was a sort of tumultuous year. It, it's it's half the sample as the other years. But in his full in his last two full years, he's hit 320 and 330, 18 and 16 homers, 29 and 22 stolen bases. That sort of stuff makes you really excited. Uh, the problem is that once you put that into the translating machine um, and you look at how that looks compared to the rest of the league, um, you know, his translated statistics for 2012 when he hit 330 with 16 homers is uh, 237 batting average, 276 on base percentage, and a 390 uh, on ba- uh, uh, slugging percentage with nine homers and 15 stolen bases. So uh, that sort of thing is not very exciting um, for, uh, you know, most mixed leaguers. And, you know, given that he's in his late 20s, um, you know, that's something to caution on. And if you think that, like, you know, the, the most recent Cuban players um, have really uh, outdone themselves and have, have changed the way we should be translating statistics, I would caution on that one, too, because, uh, in fact, most of the recent uh, Cuban players have, have actually played to just about their uh, translated stats. I've been, I've been sort of amazed by that. Um, you know, Jose Abreu didn't quite play to his translated stats, but his translated stats had him with like a 700 slugging percentage. So, and he's also uh, he, not, he also has a lot of people have done that. He hasn't hit a home run in like 18 games, so I think there's a little bit of the wind so coming he's a out. Bust. Of, no, I mean, it's just there's a little bit of wind coming out of the sails. I think at least recently. Yeah, you know, in fact, in the fact, uh, you you could make much more of a case that the translations have gone high on right. some of these guys in the past. Right. Uh, you know, Cespedes. Cespedes, Cespedes didn't quite hit his Davenport translations. I have a piece called The Difficulty of Translating uh, Stats for Jose Abreu, something like that, uh, if you're interested in more information on the subject. The, the, the one thing that's so difficult about it is these guys play in some, in some really different parks. Some of the parks have holes in the outfield. Um, some <laughs> of the, you know, there, was a, there was a game where the best uh, team in Cuba uh, from Havana was supposed to play in, in their home park, and then at the last minute it got switched to the psychiatric hospital. Um, for some reason or another, and so Orlando Hernandez was starting uh, a game <laughs> on the mound in a psychiatric hospital. So who knows what that that um, that the park all, looks like? The all psych ward team. Yeah, fantastic. So, and, and yeah, who's he playing? And do those stats count? And and did he get a, like a sh- complete game shutout of a bunch of crazy people? So um, you know, it's uh, it's it's a difficult league to to, and it's really hard to scout. Really hard to get guys in there. So. I would just say uh, Castillo is not on the Puig, Cespedes, um, you know, Abreu level. Just in terms of the stats they put up and the things they've shown, 
Um, he's a little bit more on the Alexander Guerrero um, level, and Guerrero can't even uh, couldn't even break into the lineup this year, where where they had some significant holes at places he could play in the past. Well, to defend uh, in Guerrero's defense, they were primarily, I think, concerned with his ability to play second base, and then he was injured, and then injured, and then he had his ear bitten. And things like yeah. that. <laughs> so, uh, and he's beating up on people, but he's also like 28 or 29 in the AAA. So, um, you know, anyway, I, I the, to me, Guerrero is like a 250 hitter with with some power. Yeah, uh, I would describe Rosin Castillo as a uh, 250 hitter with a little bit less power and a little bit more speed. Yeah, that's kind of the way I look at him as well. I think that the Davenport tra- uh, the ta- Davenport translations are a little harsh. Uh, but it is important to remember. I think this year, yeah, Castillo is 26, and that's the age. That's about the age that Cespedes was when he came over. Uh, there's, I think that's a rough equivalency in terms of thinking about that. They're translate how how easily they could step in uh, and maybe perform. Um, so Castillo, in theory, could come in and kind of hit the ground running. But at the same time, he's not going to light the world aflame. I mean, there's also stories such as. Henry Arutia, I hope I said his name correctly as well, in the Baltimore system. I mean, not that he was – he wasn't a highly thought of prospect or anything. Leslie Anderson? Yes, there he goes, another one. That's a very good one. Um, These are guys that put up the, – the point is not so much the prospect level because we're not experts on that one so much, but the point is those are also guys that hit 300 in the Cuban leagues. You yeah. know? So to don't fixate too much on batting average there. Um, you know, everybody got everybody got um, downgraded. In fact, Alexander Guerrero was sitting here right above my translated stats for 2012, and his translated stats for 2012 were 215, 280, 408. He was his translated stats had more power in them uh, than Castillo, a um, little bit less batting average. So, for what that's worth. Yes, I think that's uh, well done, well said, and uh, I think without further ado, we'll move on. Think of Castillo. I mean, he'll be. He'll be a fantasy interest, but he is not going to be a game. I think it sounds it sounds from the way that they're talking about the money that one of these teams will throw at him, he might be a little overpaid or has the potential to be. Mike Miner, uh, a topic of Eno's recently in terms of uh, his his pitch repertoire and particularly how his changeups have changed around recently. In his last two starts, he had a two-start week this past week and most recently kind of shut down the A's on Sunday Night Baseball. And I was just curious to see if you thought there were uh, basically. I knew in your in your article you talked about how the movement on his changeups has been a little different, and overall there's been a little less movement. Uh, I think it's uh, a little more horizontal and a little less vertical, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, any positives you may have seen from the last two starts? I'm just curious because the results were great, but I'm still I'm still a little wary myself, and I've noticed that folks picking him up, for instance, his pickup percentage in, in leagues went up. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the what I found was not only was his changeup flat, but um, all of his pitches have gotten flatter, and over over the course of this year, so um, you know that uh, speaks to me of the shoulder problem he had early in the year, and you can actually see a little bit uh, of a difference in his uh, release point. Um, his release point is uh, pretty much drastically different. Um, than it's been in his past seasons, way more over the top. And normally you'd think with over the top you'd get more vertical movement, uh, but it's been the vertical movement that's really suffered for his pitches. They're all uh, an inch or two um, flat, uh, flatter than they used to be. They've all sort of gone up in terms of uh, vertical vertical movement. He has no pitch that uh, really drops a lot uh, right now. So the curve the curve is pretty good, but it's right now it's like minus three, minus four. And like a roundhouse curve is like at minus six, minus seven. So it's a, it's a bit of a tighter curve. Um, and it, without that, I think he's missing. He never was a ground ball guy, but it's 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 affecting his ability to get swinging strikes. And also, uh, flat pitches are more likely to be hit for homers. So uh, that is uh, something that definitely uh, he needs to worry about, and uh, might be related to the shoulder issues that he had early in the season. Uh, and there was a, a you know. There has actually been um, a bit of uh, good news in the last um, couple of games. Let me see what I noticed here. The uh, the vertical movement uh, on the last couple of games has actually changed. Um, he's uh, he's getting more uh, drop uh, from his sinker, um, and 
his cutter is uh, is 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 uh, dropping a little bit more too. So uh, I don't know if this is going to keep going, uh, but there is a slightly different um, uh, vertical movement in the last couple uh, starts, and um, in fact, his uh, vertical release point uh, has changed in the last couple starts. So. Um, it looks like it's a little bit uh, less over the top. So, I mean, these are, we're grasping at straws, but you also have to remember that Mike Miner has proven himself to be basically a 3-9 ERA, 4-ERA uh, guy uh, with uh, good strikeout rate. So um, in any league where that's useful, I, I would think I would tend to uh, gravitate towards him in, in head-to-head leagues of any size um, uh, where I can maybe uh, – you know, spot start him and not start him in Colorado and places like that. Oh God, Colorado! Yeah, that's a bad <laughs> place for him. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm still kind of. I mean, yeah, I'm not totally encouraged by what I saw. In fact, I had you know, I I have him in tout uh, and threw him in the lineup just because I was like, all right, well, the results. I'm going to have to trust that because I had to set my lineup real quickly. And looking at it, I'm not entirely encouraged, but yeah, there's there may be some positives there. Uh, we'll see how his next start goes. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, but overall, yeah, he's not like a pitcher. And I think you also pointed to there was an article maybe on Talking Chop or something like that where it talked about his arm angle and how the the, the difference in that uh, between uh, last year and this year. Uh, that so maybe the drop in the arm angle a little bit is actually is is a good bit beneficial for him. Wanted to talk a little bit about Chris Capuano, and we really mean just a little bit, uh, but. Someone asked about Chris Capuano, and so we oblige. Um, and I'm guessing that it has to do with uh, some decent results that he has achieved for the Yankees recently. Is this correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> the question was if he, if he was for real. Um, and uh, I don't really – I guess the question is, you know, the strikeout rate um, is one of his better strikeout rates. In fact, looks like the best strikeout rate of his career – and when you put that up against uh, the worst swinging strike rate of his career, I guess you could, you could wonder. But uh, at the same time, you know, it's only about maybe. I guess it's it's significantly up. I mean, it's a it's it's. I think it's more if you're looking at his strikeouts per nine, um, you think that uh, he's way up because um, you know for whatever reason he's he's had. Uh, uh, lower strikeout rates per nine in the past. But if you look at his strikeout percentage uh, for his career, is 19.4, and right now he's at 21%. Um, I don't think he's too far off of what he's done. And in terms of results, uh, right now he has a 4.13 ERA for the season. He had a 4.27 ERA uh, for his career. So um, I think if you break this up into partial seasons um, and you look too much at what he's done with just the Yankees, you lose – uh, what he did with the Red Sox, and you, you're looking too much at um, the, the short sample. I think if you looked at his full season numbers, you'd see a guy who's got a four ERA um, and um, you know gets you seven or eight strikeouts per nine. I don't I don't really see uh, any change other than you know this year is a little bit hard to look at what he's done this year um, and and look at change because he was a reliever earlier this season too. Yeah, that's. Um, That's something I primarily so, did. I wrote a uh, – when did I write that blog? It was either last week or the week before. Uh, at the end of last week, I just touched on it. But basically, the only difference is I noticed um, – and I think you could you could look at – based on his component numbers, um, his components had kind of dropped since he joined the Yankees and from the Red Sox. And I think that you could kind of project some, some positive regression – um, but those those numbers have actually yeah they've they've dropped since he's joined the Yankees um, and I think it's primarily related to or I, I can't help but think that it's related to a little bit uh, he seems to be throwing the ch- his changeup significantly more often that's kind of always been his best pitch um, I, I don't know how long you can get away with throwing a, a changeup one third of the time. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's throwing it as often as he's throwing his uh, sinker recently. Yeah, and the sinker's never been a great pitch for him. Maybe that's what they said is, hey, just make this completely unpredictable. We don't care. And that's the only thing I kind of uh, suggested is maybe that's that's something that they did. Because they you know, they've, they clearly saw something that they wanted to change with Brandon McCarthy when they joined the, uh, when they joined the club. Um, and just in general, that seemed to be what they were targeting as players that they thought they could get on, on the buy low tip and bring them in and say, hey, we, we see something that could make you a little bit better than your old team thought. 
Um, but it's still kind of drastically strong. I mean, this is got this is not a mixed league guy. It's a it's a guy that you maybe stream in mixed leagues in the right matchups or something like that. He's still going to have a problem with home runs all the, uh, quite often. That's always been a problem in his career. So, yeah, because I mean, normally normally you, the changeup. You look at the name of the thing. It's a changeup. It's it's designed to look like a fastball and and uh, and 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 not be a fastball and change things up. So it is a little bit weird to pitch backwards from a changeup. There's a lot of guys out there that pitch backwards off a slider. Uh, Masterson, uh, Sh- uh, Sean Green, these guys come to mind. Uh, not a lot of guys that I know um, that pitch backwards off a changeup. And, um, you know, I-, I have to think that that whiff rate will come down eventually and that the homer rate will go up on, you know, the sinker and the change. He hasn't given up a home run on the change this year at all. Um, but the sinker is no good. I mean, the sinker... Uh, gets 33% ground balls and has a 3% whiff rate. So uh, the sinker's no good. The slider uh, is not really good either. It, you might call it below average, but not you know not terrible. But it's definitely not average. Um, and uh, the curve hasn't gotten a whiff all year. So you know the, he's become almost like a one pitch pitcher. Um, and uh, you know the, it's working for him right now because I think. Um, either there's a book on him and uh, he's not pitching to, to his book anymore or, um, you know, in the short term, people have a hard time uh, gearing up for a changeup, you know, sort of thinking changeup first. Uh, but uh, I think eventually that'll get around. Yeah. And, um, that's you know, like Dunn Dun told me just recently, uh, if, I, if I'm facing a guy with a good changeup, a lot of times I'll just sit at sort of changeup speed. And uh, I think that's what people will start to do to Capuano. Yeah, that's kind of my fear. If, for those who looking or are looking to pick him, I think if you haven't gotten on the train yet, then you're kind of riding. You're 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 approaching a much riskier segment of the rest of season for Capuano. C.J. Wilson, you know, you have some insights on C.J. Wilson. I think I personally got to say that I was a little uh, little hesitant to trust Wilson for rest of season. Um, is there anything you? Uh, perhaps notice in this game. I mean, obviously the walks have, uh, they continue to be a problem. And uh, I don't, uh, he, he's kind of always been a guy, I don't want to say always, uh, but in the last, basically since he joined the Angels, I, I saw little reason to think that necessarily the walks were going to come down quite a bit. Uh, anything that gives you reason for optimism or continue to think that he is just kind of a, a disappointment? Well, he pitches in Anaheim. So I think that that uh, one homer per nine number is too high. So I, I think he'll regress a little bit in the home runs allowed uh, territory. And if you look at his home runs per fly ball number, it's 13% for his career. It's 9%. So I think he'll see some regression when it comes to allowing homers. Um, you know, he's, a, he's on the upper end of his, of his uh, walk rate. So you can see some regression in walk rate, too. And for whatever reason, he's been able to turn a mediocre swinging strike rate into strikeouts uh, from any of, for most of his career. So I think he'll continue uh, to give, you know, around eight strikeouts per nine, 20% strikeout rate. That's an average strikeout rate. So I think what we'll see is he becomes close to an average, uh, closer to an average major league starting pitcher, um, you know, back-end fantasy starting pitcher once the, the home runs drop down. Fair enough. Fair enough. I still don't like him. <laughs> Personally, he smells. Yes, I also think that he smells. <laughs> well, I, I just wanted to touch on real quick. Uh, Rolls Chapman unavailable was unavailable Monday because of what they called an achy shoulder. So we, we you know, we had some soreness there. He walked all four batters he faced on Sunday. Uh, there is a chance that he is available on Tuesday. It does not sound like a big deal. Uh, we know that he has dealt with shoulder problems and, and injuries, period, in the last couple of seasons to begin with. Uh, but this does not sound like a big deal because he's also been set down a couple of times in his career uh, for just feeling a little sore here here and there. So it does not sound like a big deal. Trevor Rosenthal blew yet another save. I shouldn't say yet another, another save. It makes it sound like he's blown like 16 or something. But uh, he has blown, I think, six this season, uh, five or six, and he blew one on Monday. He's allowed at least one run. Uh, and at least in his last three games and three of his last six. We touched briefly on him on Sunday. Uh, the Cardinals have basically, um, they've, they've talked about the possibility of giving him a break from the role uh, or alluded to that. It still seems like he's going to be their guy the rest of the season. Any reason to think that that's uh, going to change, you know? 
Well, Carlos Martinez is coming up, but Carlos Martinez can't really get lefties out. Yeah. Um, so I think Martinez will turn to sort of a setup Ruby role. Um, Rosenthal's sitting pretty. You know, there's some there's some nice lefties in that pen, some nice righties, but there's nobody that really combines um, the two like he does. So I think he'll be fine. You know, I've liked him all along just because of the strikeout rate. The walk rate wasn't great earlier this year, but uh, I think he's gotten a handle on that a little bit. There's some other news, actually, that um, you know, Will Myers is supposed to be back today and uh, Tuesday and is not going to be back, but um, I think he'll be back any day. McCutcheon did come back, um, so uh, he's activated, which is good news for all of his owners. And uh, our favorite, Andrew Kashner, could return this weekend, <laughs> so the mullet will be back in action. Woo! That is exciting news. Um, hopefully he lasts for more than one or two starts. Uh, this time around and maybe finishes the season for his fantasy owners who have been uh, patiently waiting for his return. And stays away from hunting that. Yes, that would be nice too. Well, I think that is going to do it for this edition of The Sleeper and the Bust. Uh, it has been a pleasure as always for episode number 156. Eno, thank you once again for uh, joining us on this sunny Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, one thing I just want to say real quick, we do have some requests for strategy-type discussions, um, you know, and we keep leaving them to the end and then, you know, running out of time. Uh, we will get to those, definitely. And if it doesn't come, you know, within the season, um, you, know, within, um, you know, within a regular podcast, we'll do either some off-season strategy podcasts or, or some preseason strategy stuff, and we'll get to those eventually. But I uh, just wanted to... Thank you for sending those in, and thank you for listening. Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, we will definitely get to those, and I think you know, as depending on what the topics uh, and news and things like that look like in the rest of the season, it is a good possibility that we can fit those in, but one way or another, we will get to those. Thank you for pointing that out. Uh, I have been your host, Nicholas Minix, and for Eno Saris, once again, this has been The Sleeper and the Bust. Thank you.